And um, so we're driving through. There's all these cool shops, all this stuff everywhere. And I remember we're in the car, and the kids, like, from the back seat, Dad, are we here? Is this Disney World? And I said, no. <laughs> no, we're not at Disney World. So finally, we get to Disney. We show up. Mickey Mouse greets us. We shake Mickey's hand. Thank you. Greetings. Welcome to my world, you know. And um, we go in, and we start riding rides, and they are just, they can't believe it's the, it's the greatest thing in the world. Every time they asked me, I said, no, 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 I, prom I promise it gets better. I promise it's better than this hotel. I promise it's better than this rental house. It's hard to believe, but it is. I promise it's better than downtown Disney. I promise it gets better. The reason they, the, the, the reason they wanted to stay where they were is because the, their, their vision of Disney was limited to what they had experienced rather than what I had promised. I promise you it's better. But all they could know and all they could see was the hotel pool. The Pharisees are looking at each other after seeing Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he's done. And they say, what kind of Messiah welcomes sinners and eats with them? What kind of teacher welcomes sinners and eats with them? Their vision of grace was limited to what they had experienced rather than the fullness of what God had promised. And so Jesus tells a story to give them a picture of God the Father. He tells them the story of the prodigal son. And so I guess the question this morning is, how many of us have had a vision of God's grace that looks maybe more like the vision of God's grace or the vision of God's grace according to the maybe the older brother or the vision of the Pharisees that they had of God's grace rather than the fullness of what God has promised. That our vision is less about a robe and a ring and a party, and it's really more about working and striving and earning. So the question is, what is the, what is the vision of grace in your mind? And does it match up to what God's promised? Maybe it's less about recognizing the presence of God now and the grace of God in this moment and more about just getting through and surviving for tomorrow. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, it would, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And we're far too easily pleased because our comprehension of the grace of God is underdeveloped and undersized. It's too small. It tends to look a lot more like the Pharisees' understanding of grace or the older brother's understanding of grace than Jesus's definition of grace. And so we desperately need today a better understanding of the vision. We desperately need a vision and a better understanding of what God's grace is. What is so what is grace? What is grace? There's, there's, if, if you look up what grace was, the, the biblical idea of grace, you're going to get a few different definitions. You may get uh, unmerited favor and the love of God. You may have heard that before. Um, maybe uh, this has always helped me, the definition of grace, the difference between grace and mercy, gr grace being um, uh, uh, getting what I don't deserve. So forgiveness, um, uh, hope, joy, fullness in Christ. 
Mercy being not getting what I do deserve, which would be punishment for my sin. And so the, the, that the, the, maybe you've heard, you know, that there's, there's nothing that you can do to get grace. Grace gets you. Grace is free and grace is available, but grace is even more than that. It's even more expansive. And so the, an, another definition of grace would be this. Grace is the invitation into a God-sized life. Grace is all around you, and everywhere we see it and everywhere we find it, it is the invitation into a God-sized life. Most of us live trapped in the scope of our own vision, confined to only what we see as opposed to what God sees, our vision. Everybody say, our vision. We're confined to our vision. And so the less grace you and I think we need, the less grace we tend to have for others. And so the Pharisees are offended Jesus would eat with sinners. Why? Because they're completely unaware of their own desperate condition in need of God's grace. The, the, the prodigal son, he goes to his father and he says, I want my inheritance. Why? Because he has no idea how big of a fool he is. He's, he has no idea. It, it, essentially what he says is he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I, I, you're, you're not dead, but I wish you were. But because you're not yet, I still want my inheritance. Will you give that to me? He has no clue, no idea. And therefore he has no idea how desperate he is for God's grace. So what kept the older brother from ever experiencing a full life at the father's house? His vision of the good life in Christ was too small, too inadequate, too insufficient, even too immature to grasp the largeness of the life that the father offers. What drove the sons away? So if you have a, a, a Bible in front of you, whether it's in an app or it's like a like a paper Bible, you know, you know, an old school Bible. Um, at the at the top of that section, it probably says something about um, maybe the prodigal son, uh, the story of the lost son. Um, the the truth is, is you have in this story two brothers, but by the end of it, you recognize that both of them have been lost the entire time. It's really the story of two. It's the it's the prodigal sons. And so what drove them away is their, it's their, own, their own small vision. And so what keeps us, what keeps you and me from experiencing the fullness of a life lived in Christ? What keeps us? There's a lot of things, but almost all of it can be summed up in our inability or, or our undeveloped sense of the magnitude of just how big a life spent with God is. Where does that small vision come from? Where does that small picture of God come from? It comes from uh, a mistrust in God's character, or who he is. It, it, it comes from a mistrust in, in what God wants. We think he just wants to keep things from us. Rather, the truth is, is that God has incredible things for us. In fact, what God wants for you is greater than what he wants from you. It's a mistrust of who God is, what God wants, and really who God loves. It's a mistrust in God's love. There's a, 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 a book that came out uh, by a guy named David Benner. It was called The Gift of Yourself. And uh, David, had, um, uh, David Benner had, had counseled thousands and thousands of people 
he was a, um, a older guy by this time, and he had asked this question, uh, did a survey, and he says, what do you think the very first thing God thinks about you when you come into his presence? What do you think is the first thing God thinks about when you come into his presence? All right, so if you had to answer that question, what would you, what, what would you say? Put it in your mind. What is, the, what is the thing that you think is the first thing that God thinks when you step into his presence? Maybe it's as easy as asking this question. What is it that you think God thought the moment you crossed that threshold into the, into the front door of this auditorium when you came in? What do you think that God thought and what was on his mind? So David Benner asked this question. He asked thousands of people. The first, most common, most popular answer, you know what it was? Disappointment. Disappointment. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is probably what's on God's mind. It's probably disappointment. That's how the majority of people think that God's, that that is how God thinks about them. Disappointed. The, The amazing thing is the gut level truth of God's thoughts toward you is not disappointment, but delight. And if we stay on that thought, it can be a pretty difficult one to settle on because we know ourselves pretty well. Unless we look a lot more like the Pharisees, my guess is maybe if you're in here and you go, no, 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 I wouldn't be the Pharisee. If I was hanging out with Jesus, I'd be one of the ones they were complaining about because I'm the sinner and the tax collector that's hanging out just going, hey, man, somehow I feel welcomed by this guy. And it would be so... The the crazy thing is the picture of God in our mind, the picture of God in our mind isn't the the scrunched up scowl of disappointment, but of the father running through the town to meet his son on the way home. Grace is the invitation into a God-sized life, a bigger vision, a bigger picture, a bigger life. What is a God-sized life? Romans 14 says this about of the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whatever you thought God's kingdom was like, his rule and his reign was like, whatever you pictured it was like, whatever was in your mind, Romans says this, it's not a matter of all these things, but instead it's a matter of righteousness, it's a matter of a right relationship with God, characterized by peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this is the this is the characterization uh, characterization. This is how God characterizes the kingdom. Peace and joy. What is a God-sized life? It's a relationship with God the Father characterized by peace and joy. And anytime you find yourself lacking peace and joy, check this out. In your own life, you have to go back and you have to ask yourself, am I trusting in my vision of my circumstances or God's character and his promises? Am I living out of my own, out of my own life as a son or a daughter of God or am I living as a hired worker? In my own life, in those moments where my life is not characterized by peace and joy, am I living out of the vision that I have Interpreting my own circumstances as a hired hand, or do I see myself as a son and a daughter of God? Reframing that context is 
is so much the journey of your walk in Christ. Learning to see yourself how God sees you. If the majority of people, that our first thought is that when we're in God's presence, God's first thought must be disappointment. If that's us, we're in that group, if that's us, then we have to recognize that we're wrong and our thinking is wrong. Anybody ever told you you were wrong? You like being told that you're wrong? I have some friends that are sort of okay with it. I have some friends that they they are not fans of being told that they're wrong. I am one of those. I do not want to be told that I'm wrong. Can I just tell you something? Most of us in the room are wrong. You are most likely wrong about how God feels about you. And it matters how you picture God. It matters how you think about God because everything else flows from that. And so the question this morning is, what is your view of grace? Is it an invitation into a God-sized life, or is it something else? And so real quick, I just want to run through this morning views of grace that we find in this, this story. The first one is this, views of grace. The first one is limited grace. Luke 15, verse 18 through 19 says, this is uh, the prodigal son. He says, all right, I figured it out. I will, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so the thought is this, maybe, maybe my father will have just enough grace for me that I can work for it. That's a limited grace. This view of grace says, I, I used to be a son. I used to be a son, but I've done so much wrong, I really don't deserve anything. But maybe I can get the crumbs from his table. So that's what I'll ask for. I'll just ask for the crumbs. I'll just ask to work for him. Maybe he'll have just enough mercy to hire me. And this view of grace depends entirely, the way we have it, on our past. So we think, you know, I've done a few things right. Maybe, maybe God will remember. I've done a few things right in my life. Maybe he'll remember. One time I helped that lady across the street. Remember that, Lord? I did that. That was pretty good. I think, I think that's probably on the, on the sheet that you're keeping up with up in heaven. Remember, remember that time I gave that money to the nonprofit? I did that. Remember I was going through Publix and I had this huge bill of groceries right in front of me. And then they were like, you also, would you like to also donate to help the children? I didn't even know what, who the children were. And I already gave five bucks. Lord, do you remember that? I've done, I've done something. Maybe he'll let me work for him. Remember that time I served at church? Lord, do you remember that one? This view of grace is a limited grace. It is, Lord, I've done some things for you, so maybe, maybe you'll give me a little bit of grace. God isn't, he, he isn't a halfway God. He does things all the way or he doesn't do them, in, do them at all. And so when God gives grace, he gives all grace. And he freely gives it. This views of grace, the limited view is too small. It says, God, I recognize that you're gracious, but obviously your grace has a limit, and that limit is me. That's a, that, that honestly is a pretty prideful statement. It's a prideful thought. God, your grace is so expansive. It's so big. It's so incredible. It, it'll cover all these people's sins except mine because you've seen mine. It's limited grace, and it depends on our past. But God doesn't do halfway grace. God's grace is an ocean. Have you ever been to the bottom of the ocean? No, you have not. 
don't know if you know that or not. Nobody's been to Bottom of the Ocean. You will never mind the depths of God's grace. It is an, it is an absolute ocean. You'll never get to the bottom of it. The, uh, the second view of grace is clever grace. Clever grace. So Luke 15 says this. So he got up and he went to his father. All right, so the son has this speech. He's prepared a speech. Anybody ever prepared a speech before? You prepared a speech and you're, you're, you've got it all in your head? Anybody ever have, like, you know you're going to talk to somebody and you're going to talk about some real stuff? It's no longer just a fluffy convo. You've prepared it. And so where do you, where do you prepare that conversation? You prepare it in the shower. Everybody does. You're sitting there and you're going, okay, he's going to say this. I'm going to say this. And then I'm going to say this. And then, right, you've prepared your speech. So it says Luke 15 verse 20 it says so he got up and he went to his father but while his father was still a long way off his father saw him was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and he kissed him the son is shocked everybody in town is shocked the world is shocked the reason they're shocked is because this 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 view of grace clever grace depends on our future. This view says, I've changed, but I'm going to do so many things right now. I'm going to I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop I'm going to stop drinking too much. I'm going to stop I'm going to stop cheating on my family. I'm going to stop get I'm I'm going to get a Bible. I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to change. I've got a whole plan and once God hears my plan, he will be so impressed. Maybe then he'll let me work for him. I've got a plan. This is clever grace. How clever do you have to be to be able to get God's grace? The son here had a pretty good plan. I'm going to go work for him. I'm going to go work for him. I'm going to give him my whole speech, all the things that I'm going to do. I've prepared the whole thing. I've got the whole thing prepared. The only problem is this, is that the son never gets the chance to give his speech. You ever prepared a speech before and then you didn't get a chance to give it? You prepared for that conversation and then all of a sudden it goes off the rails somewhere else. And you're like, no, 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 you were supposed to say this. You remember that? So he prepares this whole speech. The son never gives a chance to do it because the father doesn't care about his speech. The father doesn't care. It's his son. He doesn't care about his speech. God doesn't care how clever you are, how smart you think you are, or all the plans that you think you can create. He doesn't need all of that. You are a son and a daughter. It's not about what you've done or about what you can promise to do or how clever you can be. God's grace is based on his character, not yours. God's grace is based on his perfection and the perfect sinless life that his son lived. It's his grace. The third view of grace is this, abundant grace. Abundant grace. Luke 15, but the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. So this view of grace says, even when I used up all that had been given to me, even when I deserved wrath, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't simply receive non-wrath. I didn't simply receive non-wrath, but actually I received favor, piled up favor on top of favor. That's grace. Undeserved and unreserved grace and favor. The son doesn't simply get to live. He doesn't simply get to eat now. 
but he gets to receive, he gets to come back and receive everything that he had lost, plus a real relationship. Abundant grace. Abundance is simply this. It's, it's a universal principle, and it's present everywhere. It's the conviction that there is more than enough of whatever you can imagine is possible. There's more than enough. The son comes home thinking he might get to sleep in the barn, but instead he gets a ring and a robe, a party, a feast, and a family. All he was expecting was maybe he gets to sleep in the barn. It's abundant grace. This is abundant grace. The fourth one is this. It trips up a lot of us. fourth one is earned grace. Luke 15, the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never even disobeyed. That's not true. (laughs) But this is his speech. I've been saving for you, and and, and I never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him. My son, the father said, here's the most, to me, the most sobering statement in all of Scripture for those that follow Jesus. My son, you were always with me. You've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. You were always with me. Everything I have is yours. Yet you never apparently experienced it. It's been with you this whole time, but you never tapped into the grace. You never responded to the invitation into a God-sized life. Instead, you've been earning it all this time. You've been living at home relationless the entire time. How do you live in a house all your life but never experience any of the gifts? Could there be a bigger tragedy? Could it be a bigger tragedy? That beginning of that passage I read at the beginning says Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What kind of Messiah, what kind of teacher welcomes sinners and eats with them? One that is filled with abundant grace. Abundant, overflowing grace. So our, our, our church is called um, Four Corners. doesn't represent necessarily uh, the direction, you know, north, south, east, west, uh, Four Corners, although I do think it's a little bit somewhat providential that we could not be located more in the four corners of the city with these two roads crossing over here. But the four corners is four corners of a table. It's the metaphor of our church. It's always been the metaphor of our church. We named it because everywhere we see in Scripture, all over the place, everywhere we find a table being set and an invitation by God for us to join in. That no matter who you are or where you come from, you're invited to his table. Not only to his table, but to his family. You ever been to a, a, a family reunion? You ever been to a family reunion? You ever been to a family reunion with a friend? You ever been to a family reunion with a friend that you thought their family was, was awesome? Imagine going to a family reunion. You get there with this family. You're like, man, this family's great. This family's great. Man, they've got, they got kids and then grandkids. And then I think I saw a few great grandkids. This is amazing. Everybody's happy. They're like not arguing. Anybody ever experienced that before? <laughs> all right. Um, so imagine with me now, all right? Expand your vision, right? So we're at a family reunion, and you get there, and you go, 
man, this family's amazing. Maybe one day I'll have a family like that. Maybe one day I'll be able to experience a family like that. Can I just tell you something? The family that Jesus has adopted us into and longs to adopt us into is one that you attend and you don't leave and go, man, I hope to have a family one day like that. It's one that says, no, 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 you attend and you stay and, and actually this is your family. In fact, I have a seat for you. That's your seat right there. I have a seat. Do you have a seat at your table? When you were growing up, did you have a seat at your table? I'm left-handed. I, I have two seats. I can sit on one side on the left side or the other side on the left side because I don't like any other lefties in here. You got a seat, don't you? Yeah. We don't have scissors, but we have seats. You have a seat at the table. God saved you a seat. A lot of us spend our time standing outside that table, and we go, man, one day I hope to find a table and a family that will save me a seat. And God's going, no, 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 no. You don't have to earn this grace. It's limitless. My grace isn't based on your past or the promises of your future. What you think you can do, how much faith you can muster up. Look at all my faith. Look what I've done. His grace depends on what he's accomplished, not on what you've accomplished. And so how do you respond to grace? You come home. You just come home. Just come home. Just come home. One of the ways that we remember what God has done and the invitation of grace that he's given each of us is through communion, the bread and the cup. In your seats, there's a little communion uh, cup with the bread and the cup. There's a cracker on the top. You can open that up. We're going to take communion together here for our first service in our new home. But before we do, I want to ask you a couple questions. Before we take communion, I, I, I do want to ask you guys a couple questions. If you would, would you just close your eyes right where you're at without looking around, without without moving with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and just say, Joel, if I'm honest, I found myself in the story of the prodigal son. I'm in, I'm in need of grace. My view of God's grace is that it's limited. But I don't want to be a worker. I don't want to be a worker. I want to be a child. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I don't want to be a hired hand. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to receive unlimited grace today. I don't want to try and earn it. I'll never be able to do it. I want to cast all my hope and my faith on God's grace today. If that's you, I found myself in the prodigal son story. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and put it up there? Or maybe you're in here and you say, Joel, I don't don't know that I would call myself a son or a daughter of God. I, I don't even know if I'm in the family, but I want to be. I want to be. And if home is with Jesus in that family, then I want to come home today. I want to be in that family. And I want to respond to the invitation of a God-sized vision, grace and forgiveness of all I've done. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and put it back down? Father, this morning, 
we love you, that we're grateful. We can talk all day long about our, great, our gratefulness for what you've done. And I thank you for the invitation to the redefinition of grace. God, I pray that you would expand our vision, our capacity to understand, God, what it is that you've invited us into. God, you've invited us into a family. What you have for us is greater than what you want from us, which is unbelievable because what you want from us is our entire life. You want us to pick up our cross and follow you. And yet the gift of life on the other side is so much greater than we can imagine. God, I thank you for those that raised their hand this morning. God, I pray that you would respond to their prayer. Receive them today. Overwhelm them with your presence and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, with your, with your communion cup, that's what I want to do. We started our church off like this, and we're going to do our service in here today the same way. The Lord's invited every one of us to his table and even gave us a way to recognize it and remember it. And so scripture says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the, the body of Christ broken for you and for me. And if you, if you have chosen to receive grace and mercy today from him, with me, would you take this? the same way after supper he took the cup saying the cup is the new covenant of my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Father thank you for I thank you for your sacrifice for your blood Lord we remember today what you've done and what you've said you've called us to a family greater than any of us have ever deserved expand God, expand our capacity to understand that grace. We thank you for your blood spilt. We didn't earn it. You give it freely. We receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take your seat. Amen. Well, it was wonderful worshiping with you this morning. Our first time in here, at least since we've gotten walls. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy to have been with you. It fills my heart with joy. I'm, I am filled, no matter where we've been, uh, I leave Sunday, uh, I feel filled up. I just do, because when you are in fellowship with believers and they're worshiping Jesus, that's what it does. But this has been extra special. Um, and those of you who have been on the journey with us, it's probably been extra special to you too. So thank you for joining us this morning. If it's your first time here at Four Corners, welcome. Uh, inside of these uh, worship guides on chairs. A lot of them have the connection card inside. If it is your first time, I'd love for you to take a moment and fill one out. You can drop it off in the drop box uh, right here before you exit the auditorium on the right side near the sound booth. There's a drop box. Um, I'm not going to show up at your house, but I would love the opportunity just to reach out and say thank you for being with us. If you come regularly or it's your first time and you're interested in finding out more, maybe about serving, um, about small groups, next steps class, or anything else for real people writing, I mean, reading it. So if you need to write something on there, just let us know. Um, and you can drop that off as well. We'll do our best to reach out to you really quickly. Make sure you've got all the answers that you need. Uh, and I want to say thank you. Joel already did it earlier.
committed so faithfully to Four Corners Church. Uh, we are in this building. We're able to do different ministries and uh, grow our ministries. We're able to give both to church planting around the nation as well as locally to local missionaries uh, here in our city, all because you are faithful to give. And so I want to say thank you. Um, for those of you interested in giving, you can do that online by text or uh, by cash or check uh, here as well. And that can also be dropped off at the drop box in the back. Stand up with me. I'm not standing up here all by myself. You guys stand with me. Hey, we, um, I believe, you stay there. I believe that, um, I, I believe that God's word for you today is good. I believe that what he wants to do more than anything else is to bless you, to bless us. This first thing that he did with, with his creation was he blessed us. So would you do this? Would you hold out your hands? I, I can't give you any, I I can't give you anything, but God can. And so uh, this morning, as you leave, uh, may you be blessed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he lift your countenance and may he give you peace. Beginning right now, all week long, may he expand your capacity to see and understand and receive his grace. May you have a God-sized vision of grace over your life so that you can receive it and in turn give it. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. We love you. We'll see you this next week. Just when all hope seemed lost.